I want you to open your Bibles tonight to two chapters. One, Proverbs 3 and 1 is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Proverbs 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The other night when I think it was Jeff that was speaking, Brother Lang, and he said something and, you know, being a preacher and thinking like that, something that was said triggered some thoughts, some things started running together. Well, I started jotting them down as quick as I could because I don't want to lose those kind of things. Jotted it down and then laid it on my desk and came back to it yesterday. Actually, I was working on another message for tonight and I looked at that and I thought, that's important there. I, I would like to get into that, but I better not. And so it kept going and then I couldn't get away from it. So I'm going to share with you tonight, I'm going to call it the clash of two wisdoms. I think it was Jeff, or maybe if John was talking about wisdom a couple of weeks ago and the first part of a sermon, and what a subject that is. The word wisdom, like 53 times in the scripture, the word is used, mostly in the book of Proverbs, and it has such an important meaning. And yet, there's a kind of wisdom that we're warned against. There is a wisdom that comes from God, which some would interpret as the right use of God's knowledge. It's doing with what God teaches us the right way so that he's glorified in it. We're not trying to use God's knowledge to advance ourselves or make ourselves somebody, you know, that is admired and looked up to. But... God's word comes to us as a way of life. It is the way of life. There is no other way that's more right than this way. There is a way that seems to be right. You've heard that before. But there is only one way that is right. And a wise man, a man that has wisdom, will go that way. Now, he may have to fight through a lot of things that are contrary to what God said. But if he's a wise man, if his life terminates in him being wise, it'll be because he did things the way God wanted him to do it, not the way of the world that you get rich and famous and all of that. But it'll be because the choices he made lined up with the word of God. The great enemy of wisdom, to me, is fear. Because when it comes to what God says, and us accessing that to be our way, there's always that threat that the devil throws in. Well, what if it doesn't work? How many people have you known that have said all of this? Or how many people have heard that and yet look around? Who does it work for? And there's a fear in that because you set yourself to do things a certain way like healing. If it doesn't work, boy, you could go down or you could become handicapped, or something could happen bad to you. Then here comes human wisdom. Here comes the wisdom of man. You know, you better, you better think about all this stuff because, you know, God doesn't want you to be foolish. And you're not supposed to be, uh, you know, real hasty. You need to stop and rethink what we're doing here. Now, maybe, and then you start adding a lot of human wisdom to that. And you can always tell when human wisdom is winning the battle in a man's life because it'll always talk you out of what God said. It'll justify the man rather than God. Well, we know that God said that, but don't you think? And that's where man's wisdom comes in and ruins people that listen to it because that's pleasant to hear. 
I mean, we're almost all living that ways over my head. But the preacher said, well, we know that all of that's right. We know that God wants us to live that way. I mean, uh, but come on, we got to realize that as long as we're in this flesh, we can't do all that. That's the wisdom of man, which discredits the wisdom of God and creates ruin in people that hear it. Was it Romans chapter one? Was it, were you in Romans one the other night or was that John? One of the two was a dynamic duo. One of those two guys were in Romans chapter one. And let me read something from Romans chapter one. And I'll come back to Proverbs and 1 Corinthians in just a minute. You stay there. But in Romans chapter 1, concerning the word, he said there are those who don't want to do things God's way. They don't want to hear it. They don't like to retain God's knowledge in their mind. Like in verse 28 of chapter 1, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You cannot have wisdom unless you get knowledge. As Proverbs says, get knowledge. With all you're getting, get knowledge. But wisdom is the principal thing. Because if you don't have the wisdom of God in putting that knowledge into practice, you're going to use that knowledge in another way that isn't going to glorify God. And there's a kind of bowing your head and heart to God to do things his way. He went on to say, professing themselves to be wise because they had changed the truth of God into a lie by redefining it and explaining away what God said. He said, professing themselves to be wise, the Bible said they became fools. And that's what a fool is in the Bible. A foolish person, we'll put it that way. If somebody has his own way of seeing things, he takes what God said, redefines it, makes it fit into his life, Makes sense. Nobody persecutes him or criticizes him for the way he's doing things. Even though he quotes the Bible, he's not doing what the Bible said. He's being foolish. Because God doesn't honor that in the end. That will not gain you a place with God or pleasure with the Lord. Remember, God gave us his word. And he said, this is the way, walk in it. Man takes that word because he is so subject to this. The devil has a lot of people that are called angels of light. Have you heard that? Angels of light. They appear to be something they're not. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible tells us that as we come into this life. And you're going to be challenged. You're going to face these people. You're going to hear stuff. There's going to be something weak in you that looks for the way out. Something that doesn't want to be strong in the Lord and the uh, power of, uh, how's that go, of his might? It's waiting for somebody to tell you that you don't have to do anything. You just sit down and relax and enjoy yourself. And, and uh, <clears throat> God knows. And the church goes to sleep. It loses its energy and its power and its might. It becomes religious. And it's all the whole system. The whole system the Bible teaches is based on man's Wisdom. He said the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, what will they do? After their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers. He goes on to say, who will tickle your ears. And it's kind of humanly pleasing. You don't have to have convictions. Your conscience is not bothered. There's no guilt that brings repentance and 
nothing subdues your spirit. You just kind of, yeah, amen. <laughs> oh, yeah, brother. The church is like that. The Bible uses the word man's fables, man's tales. This is what they will turn to, especially in the last days when the church is lulled into a, something besides the word of God. And preachers today will tell you, a lot of them who want fame and fortune, I think, or at least fame, if you want to keep a crowd of people, if you want your church to grow, there are some subjects you better leave alone. That's the wisdom of man. It's denying you a truth you need to hear so that you don't get snared by something. But the preacher says, no, that would not be helpful to these people down the road. So the people, instead of saying today, prophesy to us smooth things, they just say, I'm going to prophesy smooth things. I'm going to try to make everybody comfortable and happy. And if we do, they kind of go to sleep. And what do they do? Their judgments, their decisions that they make, man's wisdom. Have y'all found Proverbs 3 yet? Verse 5, trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. Now, the word trust is an obstacle. There's a fear in that. But trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Again, in verse 5. Lean not to your own understanding. Where did you get the understanding you had when you came to the Lord? Where did it come from? It came from the world, didn't it? Most all of it did. You learn how to put things together, two and two together. You learn there's some things you do, some things you don't do, and everybody approves of that, and that's true. I mean, you touch things that are hot, stick your hand in an electric circuit, slow down when it's snowing, things like that. I mean, you, just, you learn that. Nothing wrong with that. But when it comes to religion, there's a lot of misinformation. And we have learned how to get out of situations where we have to trust the Lord. Because somebody convinces us we're not ready for that. That's over our head. That's something that we really can't do. I mean, you should. It's all, I mean, it's fine. I know there are people that can. God bless them. But let's face it. That's just a little bit too much in today's society. I mean, things have changed. This is not a day where men are wearing robes. I mean, this is, I wish they were. But, you know, this is a new age that we're in. Everybody's got a phone. People start talking like that. And the next thing you know, the only wise decision to make is one that everybody else makes. I mean, we can't all be wrong, can we? People are being told that, while God said this, he probably meant something that's been wrongly interpreted down through the years. That faith message that you all heard, one that still gallops across my heart and mind daily, oh, that faith message is not of God. That's caused a lot of grief in people in the church. You know what's caused a lot of grief with people in the church? Bad theology. Bad teaching. And people have grasped a hold of it. And God doesn't honor bad theology. And when you try to get to God with bad theology, it doesn't work and you fail. Boy, there's anguish. All because of wisdom, the wisdom of man. But the Bible says now that you come to the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All of it. Quit leaning to your own understanding, which is why you don't trust the Lord. You're being talked out of because you've never done that before. 
You've never seen that done before. You don't know anybody that does that. You don't have an example that you can look at. There's no testimonies like that. So you don't want to be a pioneer. You, how is this going to work? With all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. I mean, people would think I'm a village idiot if, if I didn't do what they did. Do they not today? If you don't run to the doctor for everything that happens, are you not considered to be a fool? I mean, nice people think you're a fool. We're afraid of fear thinking. We're afraid of their criticism, so we, we do what they do. Well, surely God understands, and then we get rid of our convictions. But he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways. Man ought to ask himself sometimes, can I do what I'm about to do and acknowledge that before God this is the right thing to do? Because if I can't, i got no business doing this. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what's his promise? That said that he will direct your paths. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse... 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The world can't understand that. Trust me with that one. And when God created what is here and put us in what is here, and begin to speak to us in ways that we can understand what he's saying. He makes it simple. It says, in the wisdom of God, the world, by its wisdom, cannot know God. They have a concept of God. They have an opinion of God. They have some kind of an idea of God. They may make a movie about God or write books about their concept. But they're all wrong. Because the world cannot, by its learning, it's education, it's common sense, it's being practical and logical and reasonable. You cannot in that way know God. If you could, there would be no need for the work of the Spirit. For it's only by the Spirit of God can your eyes be opened. Didn't he say in Ephesians 1, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him is what God does? He's the one who opened our eyes. Jesus told Peter when he said, who am I? He, Peter said, well, some say you're this. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember what Jesus said to him? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. That's the only way we can know him. If you can know him any other way, you don't need that. That's just like a guy who told me once, and you've probably known people say the same things that, they were essentially saying, I don't think I'm bad enough to go to hell. And I think God is good enough that he understands that. And, and he knows that I'm not really all that bad. And I'm not really going to hell. I mean, somebody told them that. It made sense to somebody. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm not bad enough to go to that place. That's for terrorists. And stuff like that. But when you get right down to it and you begin to look at what God is saying... Wisdom is the application of God's knowledge, God's way in this life. And that's the way that it should be. I think it was Spurgeon who said that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Spurgeon was one who also says the doorstep to the temple of wisdom is the knowledge of our ignorance first. 
If I want to be wise before the Lord, I've got to realize that I'm not. I really am not. And all my great opinions and ideas about God are worthless, or as Solomon said, they're vain if they don't line up with what God said in his word. So wisdom, we want to talk about that a little bit tonight because I just want to point out in several episodes in the Bible what happened there and probably what would people say today if the same circumstance came up today. Let's go to Jericho for just a moment. Exodus chapter 6, Jericho. Exodus chapter 6. You know the story, I am sure, that they crossed the Jordan. they over in Canaan's fair and happy land, and the first obstacle they found in their life, if we had time tonight to preach a sermon, this would be the whole sermon. You come to the Lord, and right away, once you come to the Lord, the teaching sessions begin. Right away, instead of entering into Canaan's fair and happy land, milk and honey and pomegranates and grapes, whoopee, let's go. The first thing you come against is your enemy. And he's in a fortified city. And he's mightier than you are, but he's scared of you. God makes him scared. He wouldn't even come out of Jericho because there was a fear of these slaves. Joshua, what are we going to do? How are we going to do? And God spoke to Joshua. And you remember the story. He told him what he wants him to do. I want you to walk around the city in a certain way. On the sixth day, I want you to walk around and do that and blow the trumpets. And when you blow the trumpet, the walls will fall down. In the meantime, walk around it once a day. Just walk around the city, you and all the people. Don't say a word. Just be very quiet and walk around the city. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the wisdom in that? Would the upper crust intellectuals of our age say, that's the dumbest thing I believe I've ever heard? A smart man would say that. I believe that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Doesn't make sense. You know why? Because it doesn't include anything that is of man, except the walking. God didn't carry them around. They had to walk around the city. And you know what they're thinking all the time? They're walking around, doing it God's way, living on his terms. Man, I feel like a fool because people up on that wall are going, what? What in the world are they doing? Aren't they going to fight? The generals, the leaders, whoever the fighters were in Joshua's army were probably walking around looking up there and seeing them going. They were probably thinking, man, this ain't the way you fight. This is no way to do a battle. Let me say, Joshua, Josh, Josh. Come now, let us reason together. Does this make sense to you? Joshua would say, no. None. Zero. But why are we doing it? Because it's what God told us to do. It doesn't make sense. You really think that blowing those horns uh, day after tomorrow, whenever, this, whenever that day was, do you think walking around there and then just going, boop, boop, and blowing a horn is going to make the walls fall flat? Come on, Josh. I mean, uh, uh, Joshua. I'm sure Joshua was wrestling with this himself. He said, I'm done as a leader. They're going to have me investigated by the time we make third lap. They're going to think, you know, you were out in the cold too long. You used to head your feet in the Jordan too long, or something was wrong. You, you're one brick short. That's not how you fight. 
This is not how you do it. And yet there was a fear of God that they were learning there. They didn't know much about that then, but it was over them. Because God honored Joshua. This is going to be written. It's going to happen just like he said. And nobody's going to break ranks because God is in control. So they all marched around, kept their mouth shut while their brains were jumping upside down. Then on that one day, they all dressed up, carried the ark out there. Put your horn to your mouth. You blow the horn, everybody starts shouting. You know what intellectuals say today about that? Well, the velocity of the wavelengths that came forth from the trumpets and the, the numerous people that surrounded this place, the, uh, the sheer volume of waves and all of that caused these. Now, thinking yourself to be wise, my friend, you are a fool. Because if that's the way you could knock walls down, they would have done it everywhere they went. Oh, we don't need to. All we got to do is get, yeah, get trumpets out. And get, whoo, ah, <laughs> watch the walls fall down here. <laughs> Next thing you know, they had built a church around the wall fallers or something. They did it this way one time in history and in the Bible, but it teaches us something about doing it God's way as opposed to man's way because if they had listened to themselves, if they had had the freedom to do what they wanted to do, this story wouldn't be in the Bible. They would not have been feared. They would not have captured that city. Man in his wisdom cannot know or even understand what God says. But when God gives him wisdom, he knows inherently in his spirit, he knows down here that it's the right thing to do. I may not understand it. Proverbs says, start with knowledge, get wisdom, and then pray for understanding. Because when understanding comes, you go, oh, I see. God wants us to trust him. And when we trust him, this is what we get. We lost no soldiers. Everybody's still alive. We got all the gold and all the silver and all the spoil of the city. Not because we were smarter than they are, but God gave us a way to do this. Man, praise God, that is wonderful. I am so glad that worked because look at us. How about another story? How about in Ezra chapter 8? Can you find Ezra? Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, you go back from Psalms and then Job and Esther, and then you got Nehemiah and then Ezra. So if you find the Psalms, go back to the left a little bit. And Ezra, chapter 8. What a wonderful and interesting story. What a godly man. Ezra had brought these captives, had a word from the king to bring these captives back. He was getting his troops together, bringing them back to, to Israel. They were going to rebuild and do some stuff. His heart was with God and what he wanted him to do. So Ezra's got all these people. We've got quite a crowd of people. This is Israel. And over here's Iraq, and this is Syria, and this is Jordan over here. They had to march. There's a long way to go. Deserts, bandits, difficulties, problems especially having women and children with you, you wouldn't be that difficult to overwhelm because, well, you're weakened by the crowd you're with. They're sort of baggage, but you got to have them when you get there. 
So the king had said to Ezra, apparently he had asked him if he'd like to take some of his soldiers with him to help him make sure they get there. Well, that's wisdom of man. And it's wisdom anyway. If this church right here had to walk from somewhere in Iraq over maybe up through Syria and down into Israel, it's a pretty good journey. It'd take them a while to do it. If the governor said, I'm going to send the National Guard with you all to make sure you get there, wouldn't we all go, yeah, 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 yeah. But see, the problem with these Hebrews that they had a leader that didn't think like that. Bless their heart, bless his heart. Because it says in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 22, when the king wanted him to take a, a group of soldiers to protect him, he said, for I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way because we had spoken to the king saying, we had already confessed what we believed. Listen to this. We had already said, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. That was his confession. That was what he believed. I wonder how many of those who were leaving Babylon and coming back to Israel realized after about a mile there's no soldiers. I wonder how many of them said, what are we going to do if we run into trouble? Ezra said, God will take care of it. Don't worry about it. Just trust the Lord. Trust what? Trust the Lord. Yeah, okay. That's fine. That's fine. Time out. But don't you think God gave us enough sense? And then here comes man's wisdom. All the practical, logical things that not only bring fear in people, but cause you to turn away from the way God said to do it. Ezra said, I was ashamed to inquire of the king to ask him to send us some help along the way because I'd already told him the hand of God is upon us for good. God will take care of us. We don't need that. The Lord is on our side. What would the church say today about that? Do you think that verse I just read would find favor today with most churchgoers? Oh, they like to read it because they weren't there. They don't have to go through it. Or in the days of Jehoshaphat, you know, they heard a prophecy. Go down and meet your enemy. You don't need to fight. Just go down and stand still. And Jehoshaphat went down the next day like that. He didn't take his sword. It doesn't say he had his army. They weren't hiding in bushes. They just walked out there with their family, and they began to worship God. And God caused their enemies, just like Jericho's walls, to fall down. Those enemies were subdued. These enemies were subdued also. And the spoil would took them three days to carry away the spoil. The whole bunch of Judah and Benjamin, three days, day and night, carrying away all the stuff that they brought to them. Three days. That's when you do it God's way. That's the wisdom of God in what he said. Asa's wisdom, Asa was Jehoshaphat's father back in chapter 15 in 2 Chronicles. You know, Asa said, Lord, there's a million soldiers coming against us. And he said, we don't have any kind of might to fight these people, but Lord, we want you to help us. And God did help him. He lost a lot of soldiers, I'm sure. You would in a battle that tight when they fought that close. Jehoshaphat lost nobody. Not even a child. Nobody died. I mean, you can do it Asa's way. You can do it God's way or Jehoshaphat's way. Or you can do it Ezra's way. 
Ezra probably told the king, God is for us and not against us. His hand is against all of those who, as he said in the end of verse 22, his wrath is against those who forsake him. But we don't forsake him. You can say that while you're in the comfort of wherever you were in Babylon. Now you're stepping out in the real world. Y'all willing to walk what you just said, what you just learned, that verse of scripture you've been reading? Are you willing to trust that? Are you willing to count your very life on that? Are you really convinced that God watches over his word that much? Do you really believe that? Because there's something, again, called fear that begins with what if. It begins to put a question mark where God puts a period. God will, and I say, God will? Wait a minute now, how do you know? Before you jump out there and try to be Mr. Holy, you know, whoa, look at me, I'm so spiritual. You better, you better be careful. Look around all the people that didn't make it. And you think you're better than everybody else? He talks like that. He talks like that to subdue you, to keep your faith wrapped up in a box or something. He wants to make you afraid that something bad will happen to you. You take a step of faith, this may be the end of it. And stuff like that happens. But did he make it? Did Ezra make it back? He sure did. There's nothing else written in there about the troubles they might have had. If they did, they were minor and they had no problem because God took care of them. Does God have angels? Is there such a thing as an angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them? Could he not send his angel to protect you and strengthen you? In Psalm 91, could he do that? Then let me ask you a question, and I'm saying this as your brother and your friend. Then why are people afraid to trust that? See, only by trusting can the wisdom that God gives be manifested in your life. It's called foolishness by the world. We think a man can be saved by just being good, living an improved life. No longer cussing, drinking, running around, and not watching this or going there. And he goes to church every week. He gives and he helps and he's a part of and, and he does all of those things. We say, well, if anybody was saved, he's saved. That's not what saves you. you you're not saved by works. If you could be saved that way, Jesus, there was no reason for him to die. No reason for him to come into the world because you have devised that to be saved, just be good in your own estimation. And yet, God said tonight, just in his word, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Something that people have the privilege of going to hear but will give it up for a ball game. It's not a big deal. But it's the way that God has chosen to save people. How can they hear except one be sent? How can they be sent unless God sends them? Go into all the world and make disciples, preaching to them, teaching them. What? This word. Everybody is corrupt on the inside. Everybody has gone astray. The Bible says so. We're all different. We've all gone a different way from God. And we come back to God It'll take the rest of our lives to deal with all the stuff in us that was made after man's wisdom. It's a war. Pulling down strongholds isn't one evening. It's a life you live and you do that daily. 
Because of the weapons that God gives us, there are things in our life that we've got to destroy or they'll keep ruining us until finally we'll cave into fear and cave into all that other stuff. What about the three Hebrew boys? Shadrach, Meshach. What's the other one? Years ago, I was driving home. This is 30 years ago. 35. How old am I? 35, 36 years ago, I was driving home from a meeting somewhere. I drove all the time and late at night to get home so I could go somewhere the next night. And to stay awake, I listened to the radio. And it didn't matter. I, I liked the preaching because I could concentrate. Other stuff, you, you know. And one night there was a black preacher on there. He was interesting to listen to, plus he was funny. I would laugh and I was getting awake again. He was telling this story. He told his congregation, he said, did you know there's a black man in the Bible? I mean, a bad black man? He said, I thought, where? And he said, there was Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. (laughs) But (laughs) that's what he said. It's all right to say that I asked Jackie, and she says, all right. (laughs) But there were these three boys. And the king had told him in uh, Daniel 3, he said, you boys, you need to do it my way. And they said, no, no, we're not going to eat your food. We're not going to dance to your music. Well, he said, I'm going to get the band out, and we're going to start the music. And when they start the music, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. I mean, the furnace must have been the worst of the worst places you could go. You'd be consumed instantly by an awful heat. This is what they said in Daniel 3. Listen to this. He said, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But even if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, how many people today, how many of the wise men of this world would say, boys, boys, just dance a little bit. Do whatever he wants you to do. Live another day. Come on, man. You might get out and you might be able to sneak out and go back to your country and then you'll be alive. Look at all the people you can help. Look at the influence that you could have on all those people. Do you think you're proving anything by just... I'm not going to do that. And they're going to throw you in a fire furnace and you're going to go poof. There goes another Hebrew. You really think that's God? I'm telling you, this is the way the wisdom of this world. I've been in it. I know how the world talks. Been there and done that. I know what has rolled around in my mind in my years of being challenged by the Lord. Thoughts like that. Come on now. Do you really think it's God? That doesn't make any sense. If you don't get something for that now, it's going to become chronic, and then you can't get anything for it. You're going to die. And then what kind of a testimony is that? Come on, if you're smart, if you're wise, go take your aspirins, whatever it is you got to do. Just do that and get through this and then reorient yourself and start over. I mean, that's better than you just making us all embarrassed because of what happened to you, and then we're all scared it'll happen to us. Come on. How many people then turn away from what God said because of that kind of illogical 
information that the devil puts in your mind. And you turn back. You got your hands on the plow and boy, you're being told that nobody can stay with it. I know the just shall live by faith and I know if any man turns back, he turns back to destruction. He said, but I don't think God meant that. I wonder what he meant then. See, there's a fear that turns you away from God. There's also a fear that turns you to God. What other choices do I have besides the one God gave? You tell me. There's none that's right. There is a way that seems right, doesn't it? But they said, we're not going to dance to your tune. We're not going to bow to that golden calf. Not even to save our young lives. We would rather die serving God. But you see, here's what we believe. We believe God is able to deliver us from your hand. And he will. Hey, but even if he didn't, we're still not going to do it. We would rather die trusting God and staying in true with the wisdom he gave us than to live doubting and, and making excuses. So if you want to throw us in there, you throw us in there, but we're not going to bow to your idol. Do you think the king got mad over that? Or did he say, I have never heard such wisdom in young men in my life? No, he was in a rage. Heat that furnace up so hot that you can't even get close to it. And they got us so hot that the men stoked it. Some of them died by the heat. And they got these three boys and threw them in there. And all they did was walk around with somebody else. Jesus was in there with them. Do you think heat bothers Jesus? Can you imagine a furnace so hot and they're sitting in there talking, how y'all doing? Of course, he wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't ask them how they're doing because he knows how they're doing. He knows all things. I don't know what they were chatting about or what they were saying, or maybe they were just standing in there walking around in that fiery furnace. Hey, Neb, I mean, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, look at us. They weren't putting on a show. They were just letting him know that all of his threats and all of his ways are meaningless when they are contrasted to what God wants. If you can find a man who will do things God's way, he has no fear of man. He will have been delivered from all of his fears. All he needs to know is what does the word of God say? What does the word say? Take Esther. Remember Esther? That wicked Haman had gotten together and he hated the Jewish people so bad that he got this decree up that all Jews on a certain day and 13th day of the month, all of these Jews were going to be killed. You could kill any of them you find and you'd get all their property. Sent out to all the provinces. Mordecai heard about it and began to mourn. Because this was a decree. You couldn't take it back. When the king's stamp hit it, you couldn't say, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean it. You couldn't do that. His word was spoken. Just like when a man in the Bible sought repentance with tears. Remember him? And he couldn't get it because when God said, you are the one, you're the firstborn, you get the inheritance. You couldn't change it. It's forever said. It was said and it was done. And so Mordecai said, this is law. That a month from now, whenever it was, all Jews are free game. The people in the kingdom are allowed to kill a Jew. Any of them, children, women, you're allowed to take their life. It's by law you're free to do that. And Esther, you're a Jew. 
And what makes you think you're going to escape? They'll do the same thing to you because it's a law. What am I going to do? He said, you go into the king, explain all of this to him, and we have another plan. But she said, I can't go before the king under now. I mean, I can't just walk in there because you do that, you'll die. That's part of the system. You read the story. So Esther says at the end of, of chapter 4, in verse 16, she says, if I perish, I perish. So we come up and we say, you mean a pretty young thing like you. With all your beauty and all your human attractions. The kind of person that this king sought in his whole kingdom to find. You think he would let you die? I mean, he's not going to do that. He's the king. But the fact is, it's also a law. What he said is said. So they had to do another decree that said all Jews can defend themselves. And they did. But Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I'm sure today that wouldn't be very smart to a lot of people. I mean, what kind of wisdom is in that? You mean you're just willing to die? Couldn't you sneak out of the country at night or something or get Mordecai and ride off on a fast camel or something? Surely we could get out of town. She said, no, if I die, I die. What about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? Would you turn to Acts chapter 14? I want you to read this. Read, follow me. Acts chapter 14 and verse 19. You know, it actually began in, in verse 1 of 14. The persecution began there in Iconium. Everywhere they went, everywhere Paul would go to proclaim this message of salvation through Christ, he was met by a lot of opposition, hecklers, people who, when Paul would go to another place, these Judaizers, as they called them, who wanted to keep people observing the law, which we've been delivered from as a way of being right with God. They couldn't imagine that a man could be right with God by not obeying the law. But simply by faith, that doesn't make any sense. And they preached that. And everywhere Paul would go, they would heckle him. And he had this problem. He's Judaizers. Difficult, you know, people that just oppose his preaching. And, you know, that would get old. I think he sought the Lord three times that he would be delivered from this. And God kept telling him, my grace is sufficient for you. And so it went on from Iconium down to Lystra, verse 8, and a certain man in Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, never had walked. And so they healed him. The apostle Paul healed him. And then in verse 19, towards the end of that chapter, and there came other Jews, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Now, let me ask you something. Could Paul have avoided the stoning if he had just gone somewhere else? Probably. But why did he say it? Well, first of all, God told him in chapter 7, when he saved him, he knocked him off of that horse, and he told Ananias that this man will suffer great things for my namesake. 
because of me and his desire to worship me, follow me, please me, and say what I want him to say, he's going to suffer a lot for it. It's going to cost him in his world, in this natural world, it's going to cost him. He's going to have to pay a price for doing that, just like we will. But he said, he will suffer great things for my name's sake. And one of the things he suffered was ridicule, opposition, people against him. And they got so upset with him that they told the people, this man is a hater of God. I don't know what they said. It doesn't tell us, but something that caused the people to, to become in a rage. This man, he's going around talking about, you know, Moses and all the things that we love. He's saying that's not even right anymore. This guy's going to ruin our law. And the people who were influenced by that kind of talk, just like terrorists today are influenced by a form of religion. They have no clue what it's all about, but they believe what they're told. And they'll do whatever they're told to do, including kill. Well, these people did too. They took Paul, took him out of the city. Drug, I don't know how many people had him. A bunch of them did. They took him out there and threw him down, and they began to stone him until he was as dead. Or they drug him out of the city as one did. And he was laying out there dead. And you know what the next verse says? The next verse says, and... As a disciple, verse 20, howbeit as the disciples stood around about him, what did he do? He rose up. He rose up and came where? Now, that's not wisdom at all. There's some big old boys standing in the gate there with some big stones in their hands saying, oh, you didn't get enough of it, huh? Well, we got some more where that came from. They didn't say that, though. It doesn't say they were even standing there with stones in their hands. Can you imagine they drug Paul out there? I imagine he was all bloody. I mean, they didn't just kick him or knock him down. He was a bloody mess. Some historians who like to explain <laughs> away the healing message said that his face was distorted. The effect of blows had on his head affected his eyes, and he developed a, a condition with his eyes and he was not able to see well. That's why he would write. He said, see these big letters I'm writing? I can't. And then some say he had pus that ran out of his eyes and he had this condition. And that's why he told the one church, he said, you know, the reason some of you are weak and sickly is because you don't. <laughs> and here he would be weak and sickly, but he wasn't weak and sickly. And I imagine as they stood round about him, there's Paul laying there all beat up, bloody, dead. Nobody had ever been stoned before and rose from the dead. The Bible doesn't talk about it anyway. This violent death came slow. And all of a sudden, his eyes fluttered, his eyes opened, and he raised up. They got kicking stones off of him. He rose up in the midst of them. And I don't think he was doing, somebody got Kleenex, I got to get this stuff out of my eyes. He rose up, and he went right back into the city where it was stoned. Right back in the midst of them. And I can hear the reason and the wisdom of that today. Man, it, it, you're pushing it. Leave it alone. Go somewhere. Paul wasn't afraid of men. And he said, I'm not afraid of people. He told them one time, you know, he, a prophet took his sash and bound it about himself and said, the man who owns this sash will be bound like this and sent to Rome. And everybody said, Paul, don't go, don't go to Rome. 
Man, we need a man like you here. There's nobody else like you. I mean, you're an apostle. You're God's great book writer. They didn't know that then. Don't go to Rome, man. We need you here. I know you're willing. We, we know that. We know you're a, you have a hero's heart. But, man, don't go to Rome. Stay here with us. We need you more than a jail needs you. Paul said, why do you weep for me? I'm willing to die for what I believe. What if he said, aren't you? Aren't we all willing to die for what we believe if it came to that? If they put you before a firing squad, would you say your guns won't fire in Jesus' name? And even if they do fire, I'm not going out any other way. I'm not changing my mind. Boom. Burning them at the stake. Beheading them today. You're living in a violent world, you know what? In an ugly, violent world. And the wisdom of man does everything he can to save your life. Stay and sustain yourself and keep yourself and keep yourself as long as you can. And then you come to the end of your human wisdom. The end of your life when it's over. What do you say to God? With all those choices you made. People patted you on the back. You had a lot of smarts. You got something done for that condition. You did that. Every, whatever people would, would applaud you for. What will you do, though, when you stand before the Lord? And he says, why wouldn't you trust me? What did I forget to say that wasn't enough that you would not trust me? What have I done wrong? He told his people one time, what more can I say? What more do you need to hear from me in order to trust me on my terms? You read the book of Jeremiah, just finished reading it. It's awful how many people died and perished because of wrong teaching, wrong information, wrong influences. People who followed people, who loved idols more than they did God, who didn't even know God. The people that were supposed to represent God didn't even know them. He said in Jeremiah 7, if these people had stood in my presence and, and heard my word and had some counsel from me, they would have turned my people from their sins. Because he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. God says this in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. At the end of this life, they're going to see just how foolish you've been. All these wise decisions you made, all these wise ways of doing things, it was for nothing. It got you nothing. What does he say? Proverbs 16. and verse 16, he said something about what wisdom is like as far as somebody finding it or seeking it. Proverbs 16 and verse 16, have you found it? How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? Who doesn't seek gold? Who isn't looking for that rainbow with something at the end of it? You know what I mean. Everybody would like to think they're going to find it. Here's what God says. How much better is it to seek wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than to be chosen than silver? 
Understanding is more important than silver. Wisdom is better than gold. 53 times in the book of Proverbs alone, the word wisdom is used. Wisdom, not just wise, but the word wisdom. Paul said about himself, I'll put this in my own words and maybe add to it a little bit. Paul said, if you look at me, I'm not much to look at. I'm not very big. The word Paul means little. I'm not very big. I'm not much of a, a preacher. Those who follow me around, my tormentors who accuse me, they say his speech is contemptible. Remember they said that about Paul? His speech is contemptible. His bodily presence is weak. He's not a big guy. I mean, he's not much to look at. He's not the kind of guy you'd like to say we're following that. But he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, he said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's, what's that word? For my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, which talks you out of the wisdom of God. But he said, in demonstration of the spirit and power. See, when I say what God wants me to say, the power comes with that. I guess that was why there were signs that followed in those days as they did so often. But God's people, when they're right with God, wisdom is the thing that you'll find in most all of their lives. You won't be like Jeremiah said, my people are a foolish people. They have no wisdom. They talk right, they do wrong. They learn to say the right things, but they don't have a heart to do that. What wisdom is that? For at the end of that life, wisdom turns out to be foolish. Let's say this tonight, all of us. Let's all realize we're not impressing each other. We're not impressing God. If the way we're determined to live our lives is not according to what God said. Now, you may have to wrestle with that. I don't know anybody that comes to the Lord that doesn't have to wrestle with that. We do. Because without the wisdom of God, there's no turning of the cheek. Who wants to do that? Well, that doesn't make sense. Well, if you turn in one way, they'll hit the other side. Talk yourself out of it. Walk out your healing. Are you all right? I'm fine. Well, why are you limping? Well, I, I, can't, I can't walk any other way, but I'm, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. <laughs> You're what? I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's what Scripture says. It says, by his stripes, I'm healed. Doesn't it? Well, then if it says, I am, I am. And the world says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That must be some kind of a cult. Because in their evaluation of what we call faith... We're foolish. And yet it's pleased God, not by man's wisdom and man's ideas and man's structured way. That's not the way God chose to save anybody. God chose to save us by the foolishness of preaching, which man, eh, I don't know about, they're critical of it. I don't know about that. You can't tell. They're all different. Yeah, they're just a bunch of money grabbers. So that justifies not doing it. That's all they want. They just want you to go to church and get your money. That's what they say. That's what they believe. That's why they're going to perish. And that's a sad, sad thing. How wise was it for Paul to sing in a prison? I mean, chained up, locked up in the inner court, the nastiest, smelliest, no bathroom part of the whole prison. And you're chained to the wall or however you're chained. 
and you start saying, thy loving kindness is better than life, or whatever they sing. They might have sang that because that's a psalm. They wouldn't have sang Amazing Grace because it wasn't written yet. Can you imagine if you'd been Silas sitting there and Paul said, thy loving kindness is better than life. Silas, I love you. Silas would say, do you realize where we are? This is not church, man. We're in jail. This is not church. Paul, this is no time for that. That's the wisdom of man. It makes no sense to the human mind. But when this mind starts getting renewed and these strongholds become pulling down and you realize that there's a time to praise all day long even in the midst of your trouble. I don't mean stand on the table in a restaurant and say, I love you. I mean you driving down the road just quietly with assurance in your heart that God's going to take care of thy loving kindness, O Lord, is better than life. And there's a kind of peace that comes in there that never comes with man's wisdom, never comes with man's ways, and yet God gives it, and it begins to settle, settle on you. And it doesn't matter what kind of problem you're facing, what kind of decision you have to make. You don't know what to do yet. I'm just going to trust the Lord. That's what he said to do. And lean not to my own understanding, because my own understanding said, get up and run. Or take a ball bat and wear him out. But I don't know anything else to do. So you just let the Lord have his way. You see, the world can't know God. The way it functions, the way it thinks, the way it's the mind of a man is trained. It can't know God. The Bible teaches us that. A natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness to him. He can't understand it. You take the message of healing. That doesn't make sense. Lay hands on the sick and they'll what? Y'all haven't forgotten it, have you? Remember in the book of Jericho, it said lay hands on the James 5, lay hands on the sick and what? Yeah, well, that's, that's all well and good. But, it, but the world will tell you, and most people in this area, well, that won't work. They never avail themselves to it. Seldom ever happens. Hopefully become the place where the faith we have in our heart, we don't need to ask somebody to pray for us all the time. We can just latch on ourselves. We can come boldly by ourselves to the throne of grace. And if he heard me, I have it. Isn't it Right? If when you pray, you know that he hears you, then you know what? That's 1 John 5. We're not just teaching on faith all over again. Then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. If I know I've got it, I don't need to keep asking for it. I start praising God. He heard me. He heard me when I prayed. And now I'm on my way. To the land of promise where the Lord's going to make me whole. You thought I was going to sing some more, didn't you? I'd rather be happy and sing stuff I make up than to have that puzzled look on my face for the next 20 years. God, don't let anybody talk us out of the word. Teach us to know that if they speak not, According to this word, they have no wisdom. They have no light. One more verse and we're done. Matthew 7. Matthew 7 and verse 24. 
through 27. How many of you also know that in James, it just says, if any man lacks wisdom, that he can get it. If any man lack wisdom, let him do what? Let him ask of God. Does it say that? Why didn't he say ask of the smartest people in the church? Because that's not your source. God's your source. God will give you wisdom. He will give anybody. He'll give us all wisdom here. Show us how to do things and how to deal with things. Because he's God. Now, Jesus said this. This is what I mean tonight in closing by wisdom. What God wants from us. Verse 24, therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them. Would that be faith? Being a doer of the word and not just a hearer only? He said, whosoever, now that includes all of us, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Jesus said, I will show you who he's like. He's like a man who built his house, dug down on the rock, got him a firm foundation, and built his house on the rock. Because a wise man knows he'll be tested. He knows that days of difficulty will come. And if his house is not grounded on this rock, it'll fall apart. But this whole thing illustrates the kind of person we become when we hear his word and do it. That's what the whole thing's about. A man who hears his word and doesn't do it is a foolish man. That won't get you in heaven to hear the word 35 or 40 years and not do it. Amen. So, who is a wise man? Jesus said, well, he hears the word and he does what it says. It's that simple. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. The blessing that we need is yours to give. We cannot bless ourselves and be right. We want you to bless us. But what we want is for you to give us information that goes into our hearts, challenges our wills, and becomes our way. We thank you that you can do that. And you said when we pray to believe that we have it and we'll get it. And therefore, we thank you for that. You're going to do a wonderful work in this church amongst us as your people. And you're going to do it like this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.